Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 161 of the Box Hard Podcast. This is also known as the International Boxing Podcast, the most international boxing podcast out there. This podcast is listened to in every continent all over the world. That is a thing, believe you me. But I am joined this week by the man, the myth, the legend. He's back, it's Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, we've missed you. All the listeners have been wondering where you are. You're back in town. How are you? Yes, I'm back in time. Yes, I'm good to be back, Joe, and how are you as well? Very good, my friend. Very good as always. It's great to have you back. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. A lot to go over um, over here. Let's start in the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, Lancashire, United Kingdom. This bill pretty much went under the radar, I guess. Um, a few fights to mention here. I'm going to start with Josea Burton. He moved to 23 professional wins. He's got that one loss, of course, to Frank Buglioni. A points win over six rounds against Arters Kukilowskis, who's got a record of 18 and 38 now with seven draws, obviously a journeyman there. Also on this bill, we saw Savannah Marshall move to 5-0. and um, Yeah, a TKO in the second round there against Claudia Vai, who was 3-25 and with one draw going in. Vai was also down in the first round, but then ultimately um, down and out, if you like, in the second. The TKO, like I say, for Savannah Marshall, now 5-0. and Also on the bill, and this is a bit of a strange fight here, Brian the Lion Rose returned to the ring. I think he'd been out the, the ring for about a year and a half. Um, he's got a fight lined up. He takes on Comrade Cummins later on in the year. I think it's... Um, in about four weeks' time, something like that. Could be wrong, could be sooner than that. And, um, yeah, basically, he wanted a little keep-busy fight or, like, a kind of, you know, like a fight to kind of warm him back into things before he takes on Comrade Cummins in what is set to be a decent fight. So he took on journeyman Alistair Warren, who's 11-20 and 20 with four draws. Um, obviously, Brian Rose, 29-5 and five with one draw. It was a six-rounder, and Brian Rose won on points, but it was super-duper close, and I think he got cut on the bridge of his nose once again. So not good signs, really, for Brian Rose to to be pretty lucky to win that fight there. So not very impressed with that. I think Comrade Cummins has probably um, has probably got that one in the bag already. It's a, it's a real shame to see um, Brian Rose you know, regressed this much in his career, but he did get win number 30. That's absolutely excellent for him. Moving out now to the Forum in Inglewood, California, USA. I haven't really been paying attention to this Contender Series 5 kind of thing, but... Um, I believe the final was between Shane Mosley Jr., who was 11-2, and two, and he took on Brandon Adams, who was 20-2. and two. Anyway, Brandon Adams managed to win unanimously over 10 rounds, so Shane Mosley Jr., that's his third loss now in 14 fights. Not an ideal start to your career, not like his father. Uh, moving out now to the Arena Gliwici which was in Poland. Um, we've got two fights to mention here, actually. We've got Masiel Selecki, former opponent of Daniel Jacobs, 26-1. and He took on Jean-Michel Hamilcaro, former opponent of Josh Kelly. His record going into this was 26-9 and with three draws. Selecki actually knocked him out in two rounds, which was quicker than Josh Kelly. So um, 
I was quite surprised with that, to be honest. I don't think Selecki's a big puncher. So to get him out of there quicker than Josh Kelly did, I think is quite impressive. Also on this bill, we had Arta Spilka, 21-3. He took on Marius Wack, 33-3. A real clash of the titans here in Poland. The heavyweight scene over there is obviously very popular and... Um, this was a mega fight, really, for the Polish fans. But Arta Spilka emerged victorious. A split decision, though, over 10 rounds. Very much a close fight, is what I'm led to believe. Arta Spilka, a friend of the show. I'm happy for him. 22-3 and three there. And Marius Wack, 33-4. Very, very tough guy. That one was always going the distance, in my opinion. Uh, moving out now to Puerto Rico at the Coliseo Mario Morales. We had Felix Verdejo. He took on Yardley Cruz. It was a KO in the second round for Felix Verdejo. He He's now 24 and 1. Yardley Cruz now 24 and 12. Um, also, moving out now to the Manchester Arena. I've got here pretty quickly, actually. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with Dimitro Mitrofanov, who had a record of 2 and 0 going in. He took on Gino Cantas, who was 5 and 2. Now, Mitranov is like this, you know, this very good amateur. He was an amateur standout. I'm not sure if he went to the Olympics or not, but he's, you know, he's very much in that kind of Aegis Klimas boxing um, umbrella. He's under that umbrella. Obviously, Aegis deals with um, Alexander Yusik and also Vasyl Lomachenko. So he's part of their team kind of thing. I think they all train together. Well, basically, Mitrofanov came out in the first round and got knocked down within 15 seconds of the first round. So a nightmare start, especially in a four-rounder. Credit to Gino Cantas. He really did come to fight and he actually earned a draw. It was a points you know, it went to points after four rounds, and it was a draw, like I say. So a 10-8 round there in the first round um, for Gino Cantas, and then Dmitro Mitrafinov, I think, won uh, probably the the next two rounds, something like that. So it would have been even going into the last round, something like that. And then the the referee who was actually judging it gave a 10-10 round, so it ended up being a draw. So I'm actually pleased there for Gino. So um, that really is something to mention there. We also saw Sam Hyde 13-0 and with one draw. Um, he took on Richard Riakpour, who had a record of 7-0. Now, Riakpour is actually a guy who's training with or managed by Dillian White. He's got some kind of involvement with Dillian White. Well, anyway, he stepped up in class. And the thing about Riakpour, I actually thought he'd win by knockout. Because when you look at his resume, I think it was 7-0 with 6 knockouts. And he's actually stopped guys that were journeymen, but guys that don't often get stopped. So I expected him to win this by knockout. And he did. You know, it was an eighth round TKO, but not really the kind of knockout that I don't think anyone expected. Sam Hyde was winning the fight, and um, out of nowhere, I mean, he gets caught with a shot, and then his eye swells up so disgustingly. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Kevin Mitchell with, um, you know, with with Jorge Linares. A lot of people even mentioned in Hassim Rackman, actually, his eye swelled up so quickly, and um, in the end, Joe Gallagher actually had to throw the towel in, so a very a very sad way there to lose your O, and it was also for a strap, the vacant WBA Intercontinental Cruiserweight title was on the line, so Riakpour picks up that belt now, despite losing the fight on cards, like I say, the eye was so bad that he couldn't continue, so... A gift win there for Riakpour. Also on the bill, we had David Allen, 15-4 and four with two draws. He stepped in against Ariel Bracamonte, who was 8-1. Now, this fight here, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go in pretty hard here. I mean, the first two rounds I gave to Bracamonte. He was too active for Dave Allen. Um, he didn't seem like he had much power, to be honest. And 
a lot of his punches were arm punches. He didn't seem to like being hit by Dave Allen, though. Every single time Allen would hit him, you know, he didn't disguise it well. And Hearn, Eddie Hearn, actually said that he'd give, this was before the fight, he said he'd give Dave Allen one more of this this kind of fight against this level of fighter and then push on for a big one. And I'm not quite sure that's a good idea. I don't know what they're going to do with Dave Allen because it was a very tough fight. I think Dave Allen got exposed a little bit in the third round. It was a closer round, but one that I felt was going Bracamonte's way. And again, um, you know, he, he walked into a big shot and he found himself almost stopped because um, he walked into one. Dave Allen kind of jumped all over him. Um, you know, he almost got stopped there. And it was still a close round, to be honest. But I think Allen would probably end up getting the round on the scorecards. Um, Allen looked absolutely exhausted. And this is the third round here. Um, he was being hit all too often. I don't think it was really his, his fitness, because how can he be gassing after three rounds? He was just being hit so much. In the fourth round, Bracamonte was unloading a big combination on Allen when Allen actually came back with a big shot himself and hurt Bracamonte. Now, Bracamonte really could not take Allen's power, like I say. And he, he actually seemed to have more to his game than Dave Allen. Um, obviously, we all know that Dave Allen is tough as hell, and that's probably what gets him many of these wins not actually his ability but the toughness and the fact that he can just kind of break your heart and wear you down over the course of a fight now in the fifth round to be honest it was a very close round I think both men were totally spent at that point the conditioning of Bracamonte was absolutely poor he showed up very fleshy and Dave Allen I actually expected better from him in terms of his gas tank now as the rounds went on Bracamonte didn't really have the you know, the experience, I think he hadn't really gone past four rounds, something like that, and yeah, it was kind of turning into a Dave Allen type of fight. Although I think Bracamonte wanted it more than Dave Allen, his condition was so bad that it was impossible really for him to win any rounds in the latter part of the fight. It ended up going into deep water, and like I say, Allen was growing in confidence. Now in the seventh round, Bracamonte got hit with a lovely chopping right hand by Allen, which actually cut Bracamonte on the bridge of his nose. And from that point onwards, I think Bracamonte felt sorry for himself, and it spurred Allen on even more. But um, it was too tough of a fight for my liking. I think Lenroy Thomas, if he was in the other corner against Dave Allen, he would have shut him out on points and got the win. But um, Dave Allen did end up getting the win. But for me, he certainly put miles on his clock there. And it wasn't very impressive whatsoever. Um, you know, he's come out with, with the excuses about, you know, he wasn't he wasn't in, in fighting shape. I know that he was supposed to be fighting three times, including that night there, three times before the end of the year. Now, I think after that performance, he's come out and said he doesn't want to fight till 2019. So, you know, he's been very active this year, so I'm not quite sure what's the problem. Um, he's blamed himself for it once again. But, um, yeah, a very, very poor fight. In my opinion, a very poor display. It actually made for a decent-ish fight, but a very poor display from Dave Allen, who was expected to blow his man away within about three rounds. What did you make of his performance, Ayaz? Um, I think that Dave Allen, with his performance, I think he should have done much better. Obviously, he was very disappointed with himself, but obviously, uh, Dave Allen, he's still, um, he, he's still getting, he's still fighting pay-per-view fights. I mean, it's, I mean, he's gonna be. They said he may be fighting the uh, Kelbrook undercard. Yeah, if I don't does... think he's. I don't think he's on that anymore now. Oh, he's not on that anymore. Well. Uh, Next, I mean, we'll see where he fights next. I mean, I, I like Dave Allen, and I think he'll, I think he'll do much better next fight in his next fight. 
Yeah, we do like Dave Allen on this show. I do wish him all the very best, but I've got to keep it honest here. His record now, um, fifteen, oh sorry, sixteen and four with two draws, and Bracamonte eight and two. Moving up the bill once again, we saw Josh Kelly seven and zero. He took on Walter Castillo, who went into the bout with a record of thirteen and two. Of his two losses, he'd never been stopped. Josh Kelly looked absolutely brilliant. I know that he's a level above this guy, and it wasn't the fight that we wanted to see, but still. You know, he did what he had to do. It was a punch-perfect performance. The future that Josh Kelly has in boxing is kind of hard to picture, really, because the sky is truly the limit for him. I think he's got it all, and he's very, very humble. Um, I've got a lot of love for the pretty boy, to be honest. And like I say, after the fight, they announced straight away in the post-fight interview he'd be taking on David Avanesian, um, a former um, a former belt holder. I think it was like an interim or a regular title um, at the time. So, so um, not a bad fighter at all, David Avanesian. I really like that fight. I think Avanesian's a lot better than people give him credit for. Even though I think lately, the last kind of year or so, he's he's had you know, pretty bad luck in the ring, and he hasn't looked that great, but, you know, the win over Shane Mosley and a few a few fights before that, I think he was really impressing me, um, but yeah, it's a very big step up, and I, I, I really do like that fight there, David Avanesian, a man that's been on the show before, so um, really looking forward to that one, but yeah, a first round knockout for Josh Kelly, a TKO in that first round, he looked absolutely amazing, like I say, and he becomes the first man to stop Castillo. Um, moving up the bill once again, we saw Ricky Burns 42 and 7 with one draw take on Scott Cardle 23 and 2 with one draw now like we knew um, Cardle was getting ready to take on Joe Caldina that fight fell through Ricky Burns was supposed to be fighting the week after Um, he was actually supposed to be fighting this weekend but, um, you know, he decided to fight the week before that because I don't think they had an opponent sorted for him or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we all picked Burns to win on points. He did manage to get the knockout, though, which I felt was quite surprising. Scott Cardle just couldn't get out of the way of Burns' right hand, and the punch that, that finished things was that right hand. I mean, there are levels to this game, obviously. And um, and Ricky Burns showed these many levels above Cardle, but to be honest, where does Cardle go from here? I think it's a very, very tough place that he's found himself in, and although Burns looked good, we have to remember it was only against Scott Cardle, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean, you know, Cardle is... He is British level, and although Burns is past his best, he's still above British level. But credit to him, like I say, for getting the knockout, because I saw it as a pretty close-ish fight on paper, which it really didn't look like that um, after about the first 30 seconds. So, um, yeah, a little bit saddened, really, for Scott Cardor, I has, because, um, you know, he obviously come up against Lewis Ritson, he got blown away, he showed a lot of heart in that fight, but he got blown away, and now he gets blown away by Ricky Burns, who I don't think's had a stoppage win for quite a while, if I'm not mistaken, so um, some people saying he needs to retire, but it's, it's, it's just a real shame, because obviously, you know, he was a decent amateur, he turned pro, he, you know, he won the British title, he did his thing, but... You know, he's just really struggled lately, and I wouldn't imagine that he's made a ton out of boxing in terms of, you know, money and stuff like that. So, what does he do? Does he retire and get a, you know, get a day job? What does he do? I think he's found himself in a very hard place. I mean, he's, he's in his last fight, he lost, obviously, Ricky Burns. I mean, well done to Ricky Burns. I mean, there is a couple of good fights. I mean, domestic level, he, I think he should be fighting that. I think I don't think he should retire. I think he'll come again as well. Cordina would be a good fight for him. Well, I think that's a step up for Cordina, and I think it will be good. It'll be like a, obviously I know he'll be the underdog, but it'll be a, I think it'll be a very good fight for Cardo. 
okay, fair enough. But yeah, all the very best to Scotty Cardle. Um, moving up the bill once again, we saw Anthony Crawler take on Dowd Yordan. Um, now Dowd Yordan went into the to the to the fight with a record of thirty eight and three. Anthony Crawler thirty three and six with three draws. Not the prettiest fight at all. It never really is with, with Anthony Crawler when you think about it. I mean, the one thing that Crawler has got loads of is self-belief, the determination, and, of course, the perseverance. Crawler seemed to get hurt a few times, in my opinion, but he disguised it well to the body and to the head. And I think Crawler did well, as usual, with his body shots. I think, you know, late on in his career, he's turned into a brilliant body puncher. And I think that Crawler won the majority of the rounds without actually dominating a single round which is a weird thing when you think about it. Um, you know, it was another good win for him, but once again, a fight where you'd have to say it does put miles on your clock. I think, you know, it was a bit of a war at times. And like I say, every round was competitive, but he did win, and that was quite clear to see. Um, yeah, there's not really much else to, to, to mention on that fight, but moving on to the main event now, Alexander Usyk, 15-0, put his IBF, WBA, WBC, and WBO World Cruiserweight titles on the line against our very own Tony Bellew, 30-2, with one draw. Um, obviously, the fight ended in a brutal knockout in the eighth round. Alexander Usyk remains undefeated and remains the champion of all four major sanctioning bodies at Cruiserweight, but the fight itself, I mean... In the first round, there were no risks taken by Usyk. I mean, he was bouncing around on his toes, but he wasn't really letting his hands go at all. And Bellew won that round purely because he let his shots go more. There were one or two decent-looking shots, but nothing much else. I felt that Bellew certainly got the first round, even though some people, I think, um, in the commentary team, I think I think it was Froch gave it a 10-10. I thought that was just quite bizarre. I mean, he does like a 10-10, but even still. In the second round, again, for me, another Bellew round. I think Usyk looked a little bit frustrated. Bellew was talking to him in there. Usyk was just walking forward and not cutting off the ring. You know, he was giving Bellew too much space, really. The third round, another another round for Bellew for me. I was actually shocked by what I was seeing from Usyk. Usyk started well in that round, but Tony finished well. And for me, he won that round once again. Now, it sounds crazy because Usyk has been a man that has fought in his opponent's backyard time and time again especially lately, but somehow it seemed like perhaps the occasion was getting to him. That's what I've wrote here, but obviously it seemed like it was all part of a game plan where he'd come on strong late. Now, the fourth round for me was a much closer round. I actually felt that Usyk seemed to start pretty well. Bellew finished well. It was a close round, but again, I'd probably edge it to Bellew. You know, and not, a lot of people not not going with that. I mean, I did pick Usyk to win by knockout on the Prediction League. I, as you, went with Bellew points, and the listeners went Bellew knockout. So, it's not like... I mean, I wanted Bellew to win, but it's not like I was trying to make a case for him. I actually gave him the first four. Now, in the fifth round, you know, Bellew was just outboxing Usyk, and Usyk could not establish his jab. And I know that it all appeared to be part of a game plan, and everyone wants to jump on this bandwagon of, you know like hating Bellew and stuff like that and I'm not really a fan of that but you know people talk about it was like a master game plan tactically from Usyk well maybe I mean maybe it's easy to say that but after five rounds he still hadn't established his jab and I've never ever seen that from Usyk you know Bellew with his head movement was showing us so much to his game that a lot of people didn't believe he had in him including myself and um, you know Usyk just wasn't able to 
you know, to, to do much. I mean, Usyk was was doing pretty well to keep Bellew or to pin Bellew on the ropes and in the corner at times in the round here in this in this fifth round. But when he did it, I mean, he he, he wasn't punishing Bellew. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't piling any pressure on him. He was keeping him in the corner, getting him on the ropes, but he wasn't actually doing anything when he was there. It was like he was being too respectful. But one thing that I do realise after the fight is where he was doing that, he was putting Bellew on the back foot. He was making Bellew fight at times. He was making Bellew move constantly backwards as well. And he basically put pressure on Bellew without really doing much. Do you know what I'm saying? So he made Bellew kind of overexert himself. And um, it was very smart from Usyk because he's a very, very clever boxer. No getting away from that. His boxing IQ is second to none. Now, in the sixth round, I felt it was a close round. Um, I actually felt Bellew nicked it, but the commentators said that Usyk nicked it. And they also mentioned a shot that on the TV cameras, we didn't see that from from at home. We didn't see that. But they said that Bellew got shook to his boots at the end of that sixth round when I actually thought Bellew landed a good punch on Usyk. So, not quite sure what happened there. Um, again, I'm not really scoring this round by round so accurately. I've written here a, f- a few close rounds. And in the seventh round, obviously, that was where Usyk won that round clearly. I mean, Bellew had a nice little flurry in the last three seconds, but Bellew's output had dropped massively, and he seemed like he was really blowing at that point. Now, in the eighth round... Bell, you just clearly ran out of steam, and then he got caught with some big hurtful-looking shots, and Usyk actually hit Bellew with a one-two combination that hit Bellew, like, really clean, and Bellew didn't actually try to block the shot. I mean, they just they just landed like, like someone who's completely not defending themselves. He hit him with this one-two. I think he was perhaps momentarily stunned, because Usyk kind of hesitated then went hang on that one two just worked and then he threw another one two the exact same one two and this time there was a lot of power behind the you know the backhand and um you know the the, the left hand knocked Bellew's head through the bottom rope and obviously the referee waved it off and rightly so now Bellew was gutted and it was upsetting because Bellew really has pulled on my heartstrings quite a few times in the recent years and I've become a Bellew fan and um we now know how relentless Usyk is. I mean, Usyk was starting to not miss Bellew with his shots. Bellew's head movement had stopped. He was too easy to hit. And you cannot be that. You simply cannot be that against a man like Usyk. What a finish. It was a shame for Bellew, who, in my opinion, was certainly up on the cards. I think two of the judges out of three agreed. And the other judge that didn't agree was Russian or from the Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. He had it a draw. Um, he actually didn't have Usyk in front, which many people think he did. Um... So, yeah, no one in a million years would have thought that Bellew would be up on the cards after seven rounds. I mean, I certainly didn't. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great time for him to retire. As obviously, Bellew's been in um, quite a few good fights now. I think some people run away with it and say that he's one of the greatest British boxers of all time. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm, I'm not quite sure that he's the best fighter to ever come out of Liverpool. But one fighter that certainly gave it his all and... A fighter that in many ways overachieved. And, you know, time and time again, he was able to pull off some epic wins when he was the major underdog. He's been in a film. And to be honest, if they made a film about his real life, I'd be well up for watching that. Um, Yeah, I just want to wish him all the very best in his retirement. And like I say, what a way to go out. Being extremely competitive with one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in world boxing as we speak. Big, huge credit to uh, Yusuf for winning the fight. Um, I go, um, my heart goes out to um, Belly, obviously. Um, unfortunately, he, uh, he lost in that way. 
But I mean, what a career Billy's had! What a career from from losing um, to the cleverly fight, uh, getting knocked out by Donna Stevenson in Canada, coming back, beating cleverly on a, in a pay per view fight, which I think was the most boring fight I've seen. <laughs> Achieving his dream, having a fight at Goodison Park, um, beating Macabre, went as an underdog and won, still won that fight. Then knocked that BJ Flores went as an underdog against the David, two David Hay fights and he still knocked David Hay out. So he's had a brilliant career. I mean, he started in the Rocky, in the Creed film. So, Bailey's had a great career, but I mean, it's sad like, how we, how his last fight went. But I mean, huge credit, huge credit to Usyk, huge credit to Bailey, what a fight it was. But I'll give Bailey, I'll tell you what, Bailey, one thing I can say for a fact that he's got balls, and I mean balls. Uh, Usyk said, Usyk, I remember watching our fight after Nagasiev and he said in the interview, I want they're like who do you want? He goes Belly next, and Belly obviously he's he's a he's a fighter. He said I'm a fighter. He said I'll fight anyone, and he did not duck anyone. Belly's had a great career, and I mean it's sad that he's retired from boxing. But now onto Usyk. I mean where who does he fight? I mean Usyk. We know that he's all going to move up to heavyweight. He's, he's, we know he's going to fight Anthony Joshua in the future. The fight that I want to see Usyk fight as his first step up fight will be a Chizuru Dillian White because I think. Usyk will give him trouble, and I think Usyk's a natural heavy. Usyk will, Usyk when he was an amateur fought at super heavyweight, and he beat the likes of Joy Joyce. So I think he'll be a str- I think he'll be a good competitor at heavyweight. I have to agree, and I really like him against the winner of Chisora and Why, even though I think the winner of that fight probably gets the Joshua fight. So why risk it against Usyk for less money? But I would love to see him in with the winner of that fight. Um, I, I really like that fight. And a lot of people even saying that imagine Usyk against Big Baby Miller. That's a big possibility. Um, but yeah, like I say, final kind of words on this bill here. Tony Bellew, we will miss you from boxing. I think a lot of people really get on his back and you know they wanted to see him get knocked out and all this stuff. And I think it's a little bit silly, really. I mean, whether you like him or not, he's been like you said, I as a good ambassador for British boxing, a man with a huge set of balls, and he has fought against some real, real tough opposition, and to be honest, like I say, he's upset the odds time and time again, and as he calls himself, he's just a fat kid from Liverpool, a fat scouser, I think he calls himself, and he's he's achieved some wonderful things, he's set for life, I think he's going to be a fighter that we look back on in years to come, and we kind of realised that we didn't appreciate enough because there's not many people out there like him. But yeah, he will be missed in my opinion. But moving over now to the Miami-Dade County Fair and Expo in Miami, Florida, USA. Just before we get onto that bill, actually, let me just um, let everyone know the predictions last week. Like I say, we all went with Burns to win on points. He got the knockout, so no one gained a point there. And then the Bellew fight, I went with Usyk by knockout, so I gained a point there. I'm now two points up in the lead. I cannot believe it. I have to pinch myself sometimes and of course I as you went with Bellew on points the listeners went with Bellew by knockout so no points for you guys this week and like I say getting back to that bill that I mentioned there in Florida um Juan Manuel Lopez picked up win number 36. He's got six losses. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Christian Mino, who's now 19-3. and three. Mino was actually down twice in the third round and once in the fourth round and once in the sixth round. So he did well to, 
to uh, <laughs> to survive the distance really against Juan Manuel Lopez. I think Christian Mino was very much overmatched, even though he was a big puncher himself. I think he had 17 knockouts in 19 wins, something like that. But topping the bill, Uriel Kisgamboa, 28-2 and in a must-win fight, which it seems like every fight is for him. He took on Miguel Beltran Jr., 33-6, and now 33-7. and Beltran was actually down in the very first round, but he got back up and he ended up losing unanimously over 10 rounds. So another win there for Gamboa. His record now 29-2. and Moving out now to the World Boxing Super Series card in Chicago, Illinois, USA. Let's discuss this here. A couple fights to mention really. We saw Arta Mann move to 15-0, and a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Alexei Zubov, who's now 17-2. and Also, Maris Bradis picked up win number 25. He's got that one loss to Usyk. He also picked up a belt here, the vacant WBC Diamond Cruiserweight title. They seem to keep putting the Diamond belt on the line in these World Boxing Super Series tournaments for God knows what reason. But in the other corner, Noel Gevor, 23-1, and now 20 and two. I didn't see the fight shamefully, but I've been told it was a very close fight. I think Bradis in his last couple fights hasn't really looked too good. Um, on the card also for the interim WBO World Cruiserweight title, former full WBO world champion Christoph Glowacki, 30-1, and one, that one loss to Usyk, it's a bit of a pattern. He took on Maxim Vlasov, who now has a record of 42-3, and three, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds there for Glowacki, that's what I expected would happen. But that's it for the reviewing, we've gone through everything as quick as possible there, I hope that you've enjoyed that, and just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the two-weight, four-time world champion and, of course, double Olympic gold medalist. It is Miss Clarissa Shields. Clarissa, welcome back on the show. Hey, Clarissa, what's going on? Clarissa here. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone give better introductions than me? (laughs) It's a couple that I've been pretty impressed with, but, you know, I just try to keep it all, you know, mutual. (laughs) (laughs) How are things, by the way, Clarissa, at the moment? Everything good, yeah? Everything's good. I think we're uh, four days out from the fight, or five. Uh, I'm I'm excited. Um, last The last couple of days of training, thank God, this has been a long camp. I'm just ready to fight already. <laughs> so we last spoke back in July. At that time, you'd just beaten Hannah Gabriels. Obviously, you were looking ahead at that point. Um, to, to take on your rival, Christina Hammer. That fight was supposed to take place. It was signed, it was sealed, but it wasn't delivered. Hammer pulled out of the fight. What actually happened there, Clarissa, if you can say? Uh, well, I've been told not to say what her medical condition was, but okay. um, or is, but, but they did tell me, so I'll be respectful and not say what it was, but it was some medical condition, and I guess it don't let her train or does something to, the, to her insides and her stomach or whatever. So, uh, you know, she, you know, didn't want to do the fight. And, and uh, she thought it would be something that would take maybe two or three weeks longer. So they wanted to push the fight back to sometime in December. And uh, once the doctors uh, looked at her, which the German doctors looked at her, we sent some doctors from the U.S. to look at her. And I and I guess it was true what she was saying. So, yeah, I guess she couldn't, couldn't well, she, she was saying she couldn't practice or or train or anything for months, but she's back in the gym training and everything already. So hopefully this keeps us on the same path and we'll be fighting the first quarter of next year. 
yeah, fingers crossed. And obviously, I wish her a speedy recovery. Um, I was going to ask if that is a fight that you still want in the future. You've kind of answered that there. Now, the man, uh, sorry, not the man, the lady that you made your debut against, Frenchon Cruz Desern. Um, obviously, you beat her, you shut her out on points, but she's gone on now to become a WBC world champion herself. It makes your win look a little bit special or a little bit more special. And I'm sure that you're pleased for her to achieve that. Oh man, I'm so I'm so happy for her. We've been rivals for years, but as we've been rivals, we all we've also been friends, you know. And uh, I was I, like I root for her against anybody she gets in the ring with, you know. So uh, I was I was happy she was able to become a world champion, and you know, and now she represents the super middleweight division. So I'm happy for her. And you were obviously disappointed with the hammer fight falling through, but thankfully you are still fighting on a big show. You're actually fighting on a matchroom sports show here, a card promoted by Eddie Hearn. Could this be a long-term partnership, perhaps? Um, well, this is just a one-fight deal right now. Uh, nobody knows what the future holds. You know, um, I know for sure that um, the fight with me and Christina Hammer um, is going to be on Showtime. Uh, okay. but it's, um, you know, who knows about the future, but I know like they've been very polite so far. It's been great working with them. Um, they made a beautiful promo video for the, for the fight, to promote the fight and, um, nothing but professionalism. So, I mean, it's been great working with them and I'm happy to be having my, um, the zone debut. And you will be taking on Britain's very own Hannah Rankin. What do you know about Hannah? Obviously, she's a tough lady, and in her last fight, she came up short against world champion Alicia Napoleon on points. But she's a lot better than her record suggests. Certainly not a fighter to overlook. Now I don't overlook nobody. You know, I think that it's, it's levels to the to the to the game, and I feel like with that fight she had against Alicia Napoleon, um, she should have took a step back and reevaluated and reevaluated everything, and you know, maybe took some better fights and learned more, but, you know, she's, you know, so brave and so tough, and she wants to fight the best fighters, which I have nothing but respect for. So, you know, uh, I look forward to fighting. I'm not overlooking her. I just don't, I just don't think, I feel like she's underestimating me because of my last fight. Even though I won, she's like, oh, but you got knocked down. And I'm like, but I did lose. And to her, the knockdown is what matters to her for some reason. And it's like, you act like I got knocked down and got stopped. I got knocked down, which was a flash knockdown. I got right back up and won every round from that point on. So it's like, it's kind of weird to me how she keeps saying she never got knocked down, she never got dropped. She never fought against the opposition that I had to fight against, which is, you know, two different ends of the spectrum. You can go find that out on box rec. So I think that she's underestimating me and think that uh, I'm just going to go in there and it's going to be a gun war. But it's like, I am a four-time world champion in two divisions. I'm not going to go out there and stand in front of you and just brawl with you. I'm going to use my jab and use my skills. I'm going to break you down, and hopefully I'm going to knock her out. Wow, that really would be something because uh, obviously her two losses, she hasn't been stopped. And it's funny that you mentioned there that she's kind of you know, talking a lot about this knockdown when, I mean, I'm not being disrespectful to her, but she's only got one knockout in her seven fights. So it's not like she's a big banger. I can't see her you know, troubling you. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know, I have watched the fight. Suggest. Yeah. I watched the fight with her and Lisa Napoleon. I was there live. And what I can say is both girls were poorly in bad shape. I mean, from the fifth round to the to to the tenth, uh, you know, Hannah Rankin just basically just chased her and tried to lay on her on the ropes and she wasn't punching when she was on the ropes. And Alicia Napoleon was in full control of the fight. 
um, even when she was on the ropes, you know, she would circle around her. And, you know, it just shows, like, you know, it's a lot. It takes a lot to be a world champion. Everybody wants to be a world champion. Everybody. And any boxer. But it's like, it takes steps. It takes steps to get there. And I feel like um, it's just kind of disrespectful that she like she can skip all the steps. <laughs> you know, like, I'm a two-time Olympic champion. So, I didn't skip the steps. I was prepared for them. You know, this I, I knew this was going to be my career fighting the top best girls because I was prepared for it. And I've been showing that. But you know, her performance against Alicia and Napoleon was very was it was very poor. And um I just feel like, you know, she should, you know, take some take some different challenges with some girls who are not you know, maybe some girls who are number twos and number threes, but she just wanna fight everybody who's number one. And I just hate to hear hear everybody keep saying Oh, she's tough. She's tough. Box, women boxing is past that. We are past being tough. Everybody's tough. The girls that Katie Taylor fight are tough. Cindy Serrano, tough. You know, and, and and everybody can take a shot. The people who are the who are the great boxers, the ones fighting on TV, we are the ones who are tough, skilled, have an IQ, and can box and brawl. We like we can mix it up. So you know, just her coming to the table, bringing this. Oh, I'm gonna brawler and I'm going to fight her and I'm going to bring my Scottish heart like all right go ahead <laughs> you know all the respect to her but I, I I just hope she know it's a different game it's a different level of intensity and her match with Alisa Napoleon intensity no way I didn't even sense it you know when I when I get tired I still put my chin on line I still try to get the job done you know, she lays there, try to lay on you, try to smother you. You know, she thinks she's a big girl, you know, but she can underestimate my punching power and everything. Just know, come November 17th, she's going to be a hard hitter in there with her, and I'm not going to let her not even win a round. I'm going to break her down as best as I can and try to get the knockout. I really am looking forward to that fight. Now, um, has there been a little bit of, I don't know, I want to say, has she got under your skin in any way? Because, you know, with you and Hammer, they, you know, it was building up nicely. There was animosity there, professional animosity, though. But it seems like Hannah may have said something or whatever, but you really seem like you, you know, there's a little bit of beef there and you really want to, you know, beat her up badly. What what caused that? I feel like that with everybody, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have that same attitude with everybody. I just feel like this camp has been very long. And I've been uh, a little a little irritated during some of the camp because I didn't know if I would fight until next year. You know, I was praying that I would get to fight before next year, and my and my prayers got answered. But it's just like um, I want to hurt and beat everybody, especially somebody who thinks that they can beat me. You know, and uh, she was talking trash before she lost. She's talking trash now after she lost, and she keeps saying, you know, she got the she got the secret to beat me and everything. And I'm just excited to see what she brings to the table. Um, because this is one of those fights where when you come off a win that I that I came off of where I had to dig a little bit and, you know, really show my heart and my grit and show people that I'm not just a, you know, um, what is it, just a person who just outpoint people. Like, I really had to dig and I got knocked down, had to overcome some adversity. I think that when you have to do that, people don't realize how much hunger it gives you. You know, how much motivation it gives you for the next fight. You know, like, it really lit a fire in me to really just dominate even more now. To even, to, to just show these girls more now. Like, yeah, you can, they should be more terrified. I got knocked down and got right back up. 
<laughs> so now they can bring me terrified because they could probably think that they, that, that they can do the same thing, but the but uh, but the fight won't be over. I'm going to bring it more, you know. So, um, you know, I'm I'm just grateful that I'm that, that I'm fighting and that, you know. But she hasn't said nothing to get to get under my skin. She's been talking shit when I was getting ready to fight against Hammer. She's like, oh, I'm oh I'm Team Hammer because I spar with Hammer, and now of course she's like she's going to be me because she's Christina Hammer's sparring partner. And it's like, look, I'm going to give her a good message to send back to Christina Hammer to let Christina Hammer know you in the world get in trouble. And even after the fight, I want to ask her, who hit harder, me or Christina Hammer, since she knows so damn much. <laughs> now, this will be your second fight at middleweight. Now, since moving down from uh, from super middleweight, people thought it may be a challenge for you. How are you finding it? Is it easy to make the weight or is it a challenge? No, it's easier this time around. Before I fought against um, Gabriel, I was coming down from 183 pounds, six weeks out from the fight. Um, I've never been that big before, but with the long layoff, you know, you just kind of chill, you just eat and, you know, have a good time. So, you know, it, it was, it was different. And I didn't realize I was that big, you know, cause I still looked the same. That was what's shocking to me. You know, I still looked like I weighed about 168, but once I hit the scale, it said 183. I said, oh shit. So, you know, um, I had to really, like, tighten up my diet. And even though my diet, I still was, like, having, like, a weird eating schedule. And, um, you know, it was, like, I didn't really have any help. And I haven't been under 165 pounds since the Olympics. And that's 2016. So, um, getting down to 160, when I got to 163, it was a challenge to make uh, 160 the first fight. And um, I had to do, like, a lot of stupid things to make the weight. So, I'm glad that this time um, uh, happily on 165 right now all water weight, so the weight is going to come off easy. Um, I'm not going to do those bad things I do my last fight. Um, it's not a day in camp that I've been hungry. I've been eating three, four times a day, uh, drinking over a gallon of water. Um, I think when you see the weight-in pictures, you're going to be able to tell the difference in how I've been eating and uh, how I've been training because my body looks completely different from the last fight. You know they're gonna want to drug test. They're gonna want to drug test me more now because of how cut up I am. Because I've been taking my diet, taking my training, taking everything like 100% serious. Like this camp, I added a nutritionist to help with my diet, and I added a strength conditioning coach to help with my conditioning. Which my conditioning has always been good, but just losing weight and also with conditioning has to be a little different. So um, this has been a great camp. Everything is going great, and I feel good. And I don't have any excuses come. November 17th. Nope. Very bad news for Hannah Rankin. That, that's actually frightening me, Clarissa, and I'm not even getting in the ring with you hearing you say that. Now, this fight's not only for your IBF and WBA world titles, but also the vacant WBC world title will be up for grabs. <laughs> you've you've yeah. already got one WBC title, but I'm sure there's there's space in the trophy cabinet for another. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's plenty of space. And, you know, um, I just find it so crazy that I have all the belts except for the WBO. Like, I have a WBC. I have an IBF. I have a WBA at all these different weight classes, but I do not have a WBO. So, you know, I'm just getting closer to being the next, uh, to being the next undisputed female. And, you know, I'll be happy to have three, uh, to have three belts at middleweight. And um, if, you know, hopefully Hammer comes and uh, wants to get her belt and, you know, wants to fight for her belt uh, next year so I can have the WBO. So, I'm excited about that because now, like, I feel like the tables have turned just a little bit because at first everybody was like, oh, 
you know, she has two belts, you have two belts, and you guys are kind of even and blah, blah, blah. But now that I'll have three, it'll kind of be like people will look at me like I'm Anthony Joshua, and they'll look at her like she's Deontay Wilder because Deontay Wilder only has one belt. Yeah, I see what I see what you mean by that. Now it's not every day that someone as big as Fifty Cent posts a video of you on his Instagram, <laughs> on his Instagram page in order to inspire others. What did you make of that? That was extreme recognition right there. It came out of nowhere. Like first of all, um, I'm trying to remember who page did I get my video off of because it's in my phone. But um, I saw the video and it just kind of made me have like a super flashback, and I posted it to my page. And I got so much feedback and everything from it. And then the next morning I get up and everybody's adding me. I'm thinking they're adding me in my own post. But then I end up clicking on it and it was 50 Cent post. And I was like, what the heck? So I'm like, yo, this is, it, it was so special to me because I've met 50 Cent in person before. I've, I've never been able to get, a, to get a picture with him because he'd be on the go. And I like to sit down and actually watch the fight. But as soon as the fight is over, he dips out. So I like to sit there and watch the after interviews and everything. And um, I've never been able to get a picture with him, but he knows who I am. So it was great to see him uh, share that video of me. And so many people uh, shared it and liked it. And, I mean, over a million views, you know, I was just so excited. And then I've got my The Zone debut coming up. So that even adds more eyes to my fight, which, you know, even gives me more motivation just to go out there and show out, you know, show them what girls are made of. Excellent, excellent. Now, it's a tradition. Uh, every time that you come on the podcast, Clarissa, you sing to us. Now, last time on the show, you didn't really fancy singing, and I jokingly said that next time we'll have to sing a duet. So, are we ready to do this, Clarissa? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. Right, here we go. Now, obviously, I sing you the song beforehand, and I'm going to take it away here. I need a couple seconds just to get my breathing going. My heart rate needs to go down. I'm not quite sure I'll be able to maintain that. But here we go. <clears throat> All right. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Don't worry, baby. Just call my name, I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry, cause baby, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep to me keep from getting me from to getting you. To you, baby. Wow. Unbelievable. Boom. Boom. There you go, people. That is an exclusive. It doesn't it doesn't come much better than that. <laughs> how 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 was my awful voice there, Clarissa? <laughs> it wasn't bad though. I mean you you, you didn't sound terrible. It, it's great. It didn't sound bad at all. <laughs> got a pretty good mic i think that's probably why i think if my <laughs> mic wasn't so good it'd be awful but um wow i mean i, I feel like i'm on top of the world now i, I really feel like i've kind of come out my comfort zone and i'm unstoppable <laughs> any, any any chance of me, do you reckon there's any any chance of me getting on the undercard on the 17th as well <laughs> oh you're funny um you know what you should go and try karaoke though that's how i got used to singing a little bit but singing in front of all those people, they love when I sing Tina Turner, Proud Mary, or Tina Turner, What's Love Got to Do With It. Those are my jams. Damn. Well, there you go. That was a jam that wasn't necessarily mine or yours, but I think we smashed it. But on a more serious note, Clarissa, do you have any closing words at all for our listeners listening to this interview just before we let you go? Um, just everybody listening, you know, share this when you guys hear it. Download the zone. Uh, watch me fight next Saturday, November 17th. And, uh, you know, pray for me and, uh, you know, wish me luck. Wish me luck. So, 
And I look forward to seeing everybody's comments after the fight. Follow me on social media at Clarissa Shields, C-L-A-R-E-S-S-A Shields, S-H-I-E-L-D-S. I'm the one with the check marks. And, uh, yeah, all is good. Excellent, excellent. Clarissa, thank you once again for your time. Best of luck for the 17th. For next time we speak, I'm sure that I'll be speaking to the new five-time champion of the world. Absolutely. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. There's not too much, if I'm not mistaken, Ayaz, but what do you have for us? One news, uh, Gilberto Ramirez will face Jesse Hart in a rematch on the 14th of December. Yeah, that one to take place in Texas. The first fight was a very good fight where I think, if I'm not mistaken, Jesse Hart got dropped and that cost him the fight or that cost him it being very close, something like that. I know that we had Jesse Hart on the show um, in the build-up to that fight, so all the very best to him. Is that it for the news, Ayaz, yeah? Yeah, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. Ayaz, moving out now to Germany, this one happening at the EWS Arena. Um... This is actually a very interesting fight. We've got Firat Arslan, a man with a record of 44-8 and eight with two draws. He's about 48 years of age, or 47. He puts his WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight title on the line against Sefer Seferi, the man that we saw last time out take on Tyson Fury. So Seferi's only losses have been to, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Manuel Char and then to Fury. So he takes on Firat Arslan, so we're going to see here how good he truly is. If he loses this fight, then forget about it. Seferi is really no good. But if he wins this fight, then he's probably a little bit better than people thought when he took on Fury. But that's a 12-rounder there, like I say, for the WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight strap. Moving out now to Mexico at the Plaza de Toros Calafia. That was very nice, if I may say so. We have Diego De La Hoya, 21-0. He puts his NABF Super Bantamweight title on the line. He takes on Adixon Perez, who has a record of 17-2. That's a 10-rounder there. Also, the WBO, NABO Super Bantamweight titles on the line as well. Um, moving out now to a place in Poland. We have one or two fights to mention. We've got Adam Bowski, a very good prospect. His record 12-0. He fights for the vacant Republic of Poland cruiserweight title against undefeated Nikodem Juzuski, who's 16-0 with one draw. But the main fight to mention here, actually, is a guy called Damian Jonak, who has a record of 41-0 with one draw. He's got one of the most padded records I've ever seen in history. And he takes on our very own Andrew Robinson, who's quite a tough guy domestically. 21-4 with one draw, former opponent of Frank Buglioni. That's an eight-rounder there. I'm really hoping that Robinson can get the win and really expose this guy, who somehow has held on to his O. Like I say, 41-0 with one draw. He hasn't fought anybody. Also, we should mention Robert Parzuzuski, who's 21-1. He's in an eight-rounder against Darius Sek. That was the first southpaw that Anthony Yard fought, I think it was earlier on this year. He gets in the ring. I think Sek has now been training or sparring with Buglioni to get him ready for his southpaw that he's taking on um, next weekend in Monaco. So all the very best to Darius Sek. That's an eight-rounder there. Sek's record 28-4 and four with three draws. Moving out now to the Bilbao Exhibition Center in Pais Vasco in Spain. 
Um, we have. Let's let's waste no no time here. Carmen Leharaga, twenty six and zero. Um, he's the EBU European welterweight champion. Obviously, he knocked out Bradley Ski earlier this year. He takes on our very own Frankie Gavin, a friend of the show. Frankie Gavin, obviously, a man that controversially beat Bradley Ski once upon a time. So both men have beaten Bradley Ski. One, obviously, being um, Leharaga, doing it in much better fashion. But Frankie Gavin, it would seem like he's really, really at the end of his career now. But if he wins this, then all of a sudden, his name's right back in the scene. Um, what are we going with here for the predictions, Ayers? I have to go with Leharaga by knockout, and the listeners, I think, are also saying the same, but we'd love, obviously, to see Frankie pull it off in Spain. I'm also going to go with uh, Leharaga by knockout. Okay. Okay. All the very best to Frankie Gavin. I just think he's too small for this guy. Moving out now to the Brentwood Centre in Essex, United Kingdom. Just one fight, really, to mention over here. It's an MTK show. Um, we will see Harley Ben in his fifth fight. He's in a four-rounder against a guy called Teodor Boyajev, who has a record of 1-14 and 14 with two draws, and also an honourable shout-out, an honourable mention to Mikey Saki, 6-2, and two, the guy that, like I say, the guy that beat C.R. Osgore and took his O and knocked him out in the final round of a fight that he wasn't winning a second of when his brother was sat there ringside saying, come on, Mikey, come on, Mikey. It is him again. He takes on Ilian Markov, who's got a record of three and four with two draws. All the best to Mikey Saki. I saw him at the Peacock Gym a few weeks ago now. Moving out now to Kansas at the Kansas Star Arena in obviously the United States of America. Let's start here with Anthony Sims Jr., 16 and 0. He's in an eight rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. And we've also got fighting on this bill our first guest, Clarissa Shields, who was on the show earlier. Her record 6 and 0. She's in a 10 2 minute round contest against Hannah Rankin from Scotland. Her record 5 and 2. Like I say, this one for the IBF and WBA World Female Middleweight titles. They belong to Clarissa Shields and also the vacant WBC. World female middleweight titles on the line as well. Clarissa tells me that there is space in her trophy cabinet for that added strap. Also on the bill, we have Brandon Rios, 34 and 4 with one draw. Um, he takes on Ramon Alvarez, the brother of Canelo. His record 27 and 6 with three draws, a tough Mexican. That's a 10 round contest there. Just to quickly reiterate there and go back for a second, the listeners are going with Clarissa Shields to win that fight against Hannah Rankin by knockout. Um, how do you see that one playing out, Ayers? Hannah Rankin and Clarissa Shields. Knockout or points for Clarissa? I think we can't. Um, we can't I'm going to go with Clarissa music. Shields by knockout. Clarissa Shields, knockout. I am going to agree, actually. Um, also on the bill, like I say there, Brandon Rios against Ramon Alvarez, the brother of Canelo Ayers. The listeners have gone Rios on points. I'm going to go Rios by knockout. How do you see it? Rios on points. Okay, okay. Um, moving up the bill once again, we've got Gabriel Rosado, the tough man from Philadelphia, 24 and 11. He takes on Luis Arias, 18 and 1. Obviously, Arias coming off that loss to Daniel Jacobs um, just over a year ago now. He's been out the ring the whole time. It's a 10 round contest. Um, a lot of trash talking in the build up. We had Luis Arias on the show last week, of course. How do you see this one playing out, Ayaz? Oh, I'm going to go Arias on points. Arias on points. So have I. And so have the listeners. Yes, yeah, so we're all in agreement there. And the top of the bill here, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, 22-0 with one draw. He's in a 12-round contest against the undefeated Romanian heavyweight, Bogdan Dinu, who's got a record of 18-0. Now, it's a 12-round contest, like I say. Bogdan Dinu, 
in his amateur career, I think he was quite a decent amateur, and then he got caught shoplifting, and they banned him for life from amateur boxing, so he had no other option but to turn pro. I think he's been a pro about 10 years. He's only had 18 fights, but he hasn't put a foot wrong. He's in the deep end here, like I say, in the United States of America against Big Baby Miller, a humongous, humongous heavyweight. How do you see that one playing out, Ayers? For me, it's got to be Big Baby by knockout. Yep, I'm just gonna, I'm going to go with Big Baby Miller by knockout as well. And so have the listeners, so we're in agreement with a few things here. Um, And finally, the last bill to mention, it's actually happening on Monday. So, um, obviously, past the weekend, Monday the 19th of November. Um, It's actually happening at the Hilton Hotel in Mayfair, London. Now, this is an event that Frank Warren puts on yearly, and it's to raise money for a charity called Nordoff Robbins. And um, he puts on a show mostly at the Hilton Hotel, just literally just to raise funds for this charity. So it's a brilliant gesture from Frank Warren that he's done time and time again. And he usually puts on quite a decent card. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think tickets start £200. But um, there are a couple fights to mention on the bill. Now, the, the, the good fight, the juicy fight for me is Boy Jones Jr., 18-1 and one with one draw. He takes on Craig Evans, who's 18-2 and two with two draws. I think that's a real good fight there. Um, that one is for the vacant WBO European lightweight title. Also on the bill, we will see Danny Wright, who's 10-0 undefeated. He's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. And also the brave heart himself, Willie Hutchinson, a man that's being co-promoted by um, Richard Schaefer and David Hayes, Ringstar, or Haymaker Ringstar, I should say, promotions. And also Frank Warren. So, um... Willie Hutchinson, obviously, also being trained by Dominic Ingle, who isn't these days. His record is 5-0. and He's in a six-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. He's a friend of the show, so all the very best to Willie. But that's really it for the preview part of the show. Like I say, we've brought you the first guest. We've brought you the review and now the preview. We did the news, even though there wasn't too much to mention. And now, just before we wrap up part two and ultimately end the show, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man that sits right amongst the top heavyweight prospects in world boxing. It is, of course, Mr. Travis Kaufman. Travis, welcome back on the show. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. It's always a pleasure having you on, and I truly mean that. So, Travis, we last spoke quite a while ago now. It was uh, it was just before the Amir Mansour fight. Now, that was a fight that kind of shocked me, really. I mean, you ended up losing a majority decision. It's not the first time that controversy has been woven into your fights, whether that's you know unfortunate or not unfortunate. Did you feel that you did enough in that fight to get the verdict? Uh, yes, I, I thought I did enough, but I, I also feel that... Um... I could have done more in that fight. Um, was I mad at the decision? I was, but not as mad as I was with the Chris Ariola fight. The Chris Ariola fight, I definitely got robbed. I don't think the Mansoor fight, I got robbed. Um, I do believe I won the fight, but it wasn't like a, a, a robbery. You understand? Um, I think uh, Mansoor outsmarted me that night. Um, if it, you know, I asked one of the judges after the fight, I said, how, how did you give him this? The one judge had a 117-111, which was completely ridiculous. Um I said, how did you score that? He goes, well, Mary Mansour was the aggressor. I was like, what effing fight were you watching? Because he, I was the aggressor the entire night. So, I mean, you know, all all the judges that night were from New Jersey, and that's originally where Mary Mansour is from. I, I'm not saying that they were being biased, but um, I think that could have helped play a part. Um, but I, I thought it was a close enough fight. I thought I had the fight by one round, um, maybe two at the most. Um, but like I said, Depending on what the judges are seeing, um, 
there's a lot of punches that I was rolling from Mansour's from Mansour's punches, and maybe they thought they were landing clean, and they really weren't. When I watched the fight over and over again, I was rolling from a lot of punches, and um, you know, like I said, I mean, it is what it is. I'm in the fight business, and and I'm big on we can't we can't we can't always learn from being from winning all the time. Sometimes we have to learn from our mistakes and our failures. And in that fight, I, I learned that I, I should have boxed instead of being the aggressor. I just thought a man was going to come out and be aggressive, and he's an older guy. Let me let me try to shock him. And uh, once the aggression, the aggression works for the first five rounds, they got a little tired. And then the sixth and seventh round, I took off a little bit, and but I just kept being I kept being aggressive, and I should have I should have went to boxing. I'm a better boxer than I am an aggressive fighter. Um, I became an aggressive fighter over the years with the knee surgeries and stuff. Uh, but uh, I mean, it is what it is. I, I don't, I don't sit there and I don't dwell on the past. I move forward and I learn from my mistakes. And you know, the one fight that you've had since then was against Scott Alexander. Now I know that you're a much better fighter than Scott Alexander, but obviously you both touched down in the first round and you ended up winning on points in in what was a, su- a super close fight. And you know, that time you did get the the win, you know, via majority well, decision. But a lot of well, people thought. A lot. Of, let me just, let me just finish, uh, Travis. A lot of people thought that you were quite lucky to get that victory, but why was it such a close fight? Because, like I say, you're a lot better than that, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I'm way better than that. Um, if you if you look at that fight compared to any of my other fights, you can look at me and tell I didn't take that fight serious. I didn't even want to fight. Um, I was supposed to fight Antonio Tarver, uh, and I was I promised the X amount of dollars. Then when Antonio Tarver fell through. Um, then here it is. I'm only getting paid like a small, way, way huge cut on my purse. I'm like, I don't even want to fucking fight. Not only that, like the training, my training wasn't that great for the fight. I just, I just wasn't there mentally. There was a lot of things going on in my life at that time. My cousin had just died. He just got murdered uh, a couple months before that. Um, you know, I'm a single father. I, I, I didn't get really get the chance to leave home for training camp. I stayed at home for training camp. And there's a lot of distractions, and I take nothing away from Scott Alexander, but I knew nothing about him. People talk about, oh, he took the fight on a 10-day notice. Well, so did I. I didn't know who the hell he was. I was supposed to, I was getting ready for a slow, older southpaw, and 10 days before the fight, they put this super fast orthodox fighter in. Um, I take nothing from Scott Alexander. He's super fast. Um, he's the first person to legitimately drop me. I mean, a real drop. Um when I fought Tony Brown, I got dropped. That was more fatigue, exhaustion, not not a real drop. I wasn't I wasn't really hurt the way I was. My legs really gave out on me against Alexander. I don't think he's a big a big big puncher. I just you know one thing about boxing is if if you don't treat it right, it'll embarrass you come fight night. And that night I got a little embarrassed because I got dropped by a guy who has no name. And I'm way better than that. Mansoor is a way bigger puncher than him. Uh, Chris Harrell was way bigger punch than both of them, and they didn't even Mansoor or Ariel couldn't even bug me. Um, here's this guy Scott Alexander who ain't that much of a puncher, but he's super fast. And I and if you look at when I when I when I dropped him, I was like, oh, it's over. I'm, I'm gonna go in there and kill him. I'm gonna finish him off real quick. I don't want to go to fucking die. Excuse my language. I, I don't want to go to ten rounds. And uh, I'm gonna go out there and kill him. And I I just I was loading up and. I caught with a clean hook and dropped me. And, and thank God, because of the experience, I took my time to get up. Um, I believe I won the fight. I was the aggressor. There was a time in the fight in like the the fifth, sixth, seventh, or sixth, seventh, eighth. What's his name? Did nothing. He just ran and ran and ran and ran. 
and maybe pop the jab every now and again. Um, I don't I don't see how I, it was a close fight without a doubt, but I'm, I thought I won the fight by two rounds. Um, um, but I am much a much better fighter than that. Um, I wasn't taking it serious. I really didn't care. I was frustrated with the with the with the money situation. Like I said, this is the only way I provide for my kids. I'm a single father of three kids, and this is the only way I provide. I don't I don't have any other source of income coming in coming uh, coming in. So when I found out that they're making a, a huge cut on my purse because I wasn't fighting Antonio Sarver, I was like. Now, this is ridiculous. But whatever, let's fight. I need to go pay for these kids. I need to go get some money so I can pay these bills and I'll lose my house. So, But no, not too embarrassing. I mean, like I say, you got up, you took your time with the count, you got up and ended up winning. So I think that's quite a you know quite a good thing. Um, obviously, you'd have learned a lot from that. Now, you, you had a T-shirt on in the ring that read, I'm fat because I love pizza and I'm ped free, which I found really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, well... Well, to keep one day, day, day I did I did that for a reason. I was supposed to fight Antonio Tarver, and as we all know, he tested multiple times for PEDs. Um, and and people look at me and they say, "Oh, he's a fat guy. He don't train well." I mean, honestly, for that fight, I really didn't train much, and I trained, but not not like I should. Um, but uh, I, I just I didn't take the fight serious. But that shirt was more throwing shots at Antonio Tarver because the guy can't stop testing positive for, for PEDs. Now I'm fighting another guy. Who keeps testing positive for PEDs, and and here, here's my here's my frustration with PEDs with people that test. We both are we, we put our lives on the line. We can die in that ring, and yet you need an advantage to try to kill me. That that there's and yet the boxing world they're so against PEDs, but yet they praise these guys. I hear people say all the time, "Oh, Lewis Ortiz is one of the best fighters." Still, YP is one of the best fighters without a doubt. So how can you praise a man that cheated his way to the top? I, I, you have to question all his victories, and, and to me, I, I, I can never, I can never give someone that type of respect when you know we can die in that ring. And you're trying to give your, yourself that advantage to possibly kill me when you need a PED to, to, to help you. Use your natural skills, your natural ability, and, and one thing, uh, 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 no, uh, one thing uh, Louis Ortiz has is a lot of natural skills. He's been around the game for a long time. So why these guys think PEDs? I don't know. Maybe because they want that advantage. Be a real fighter. I, I'm a fat fuck. And I'm fat. But I fight. I come to fight and I'm coming to take your head off. Win, lose, draw, I'm coming to fight. With all due respect to you, those two fights that I mentioned you know, a few moments ago where you haven't really looked a million dollars, you know, those opponents obviously aren't Luis Ortiz. And, and like you say, you'll be taking him on on, on a big show. Um you must know that your game needs to be raised here. How can you do that? Well, I'm not going to give away my game plan, but I, uh, when I fight, my mentality has always been, I'm going to kill you or you're going to kill me. And I think in this fight with Lewis Ortiz, that's the wrong thing to do um, because he's so he's so explosive early. He's so, he's so strong um, and, and, and such a great counterpuncher. Um, so, I mean, I, I have to... Yeah, people say he's 39. People say he's 49. I don't know how old he is, but I know he's older than me. So uh, I have to, I have to beat the, I have to beat him with youth, and I have to, I have to just outsmart him that man. I'm not gonna give away my game plan and snitch on myself, but um, it's going. I, I, we do have a game plan. It's not gonna be the same Travis Kaufman that you guys are used to seeing trying to come and you know rip your head off. 
Now, although you don't have a similar style to Deontay Wilder, did you see anything in that fight that's giving you some kind of clue as to, you know, what to do to, even though I think, to be honest, he didn't really do much outboxing. I think Wilder was probably losing on points, but did you see anything that you can kind of add to your game plan? Not, I'm not asking you what it yeah, is, but look, did you see stuff? Yeah, and those were his legs get tired. <laughs> Now, not only is, is, is the main event and your fight both at heavyweight, the whole card has got that heavyweight feel. Obviously, you mentioned earlier your old foe, Chris Ariola seems to be on the card also. Um, another another controversial fight that you were involved in. Um, do you feel that you've kind of got unfinished business with Chris, or is that really just a thing of the past, to be honest? It's a thing of the past. I don't, I don't think... Um, I think I took... I mean, Chris has been in some wars before me, but when I fought him, I think I took everything out of him, everything out of him. I mean, if you look at interview with me before he fought me, he was speaking pretty clear. At interview with him before he fought Deontay Wilder, he wasn't speaking so clear anymore. Um, I, I just believe I took everything out of him. It's a thing of the past. I, I, I don't live in the past. It is what it is. Because if I lived in the past, I would still be hunting Tony Grano down. Um, and, you know, he's in my rearview mirror. Chris Harrell is in my rearview mirror. Um, Chris Harrell is a personal friend of mine, and I, and I wish him well. But, I mean, you know, money talks. I mean, so if that's a fight that Al Heyman wants eventually, cool. But right now my focus is Lewis Ortiz and nothing else. Absolutely. Now, the main event, I must get your take on this one. Wilder versus Fury. Who wins and how, Travis, for you? Fury has the ability to win. Um, Fury uh, can play with people's minds and, and get to them. Uh, just like I said, when, when Fury fought... Um, Vladimir Klitschko, I picked Fury to win because Vladimir Klitschko was so used to being the big man, he didn't know what it was like to be the little guy. It could be the same thing with Wilder. The only difference is Wilder has that type of power that'll make you read your dog at bedtime story and put your daughter in the doghouse and make you forget your own name. He has that type of power. And we've all seen that Tyson Fury has been dropped by a guy who can't punch, Steve Cunningham. I, I'm, I'm personally just picking Deontay Wilder because of his power. Um, but I, you know, in all reality, I mean, may the best man win. I mean, I, I really don't care who wins. I think I think Tyson Fury winning makes more sense for him to go over to England and fight AJ financially. It's a, I think it's a bigger payday than Deontay Wilder and and, and uh, Joshua fighting. But uh, I, I I see Deontay winning. I see Deontay winning by you know eight seventh eighth round knockout. Now, I remember that when Eddie Hearn tried to sign Tyson Fury, his plan was that if Tyson Fury signed with him, that he'd get Tyson Fury to fight Travis Kaufman in his first comeback fight. How aware were you of those plans, or is this the first that you've heard of them? I, I wasn't aware of it. I heard of it on uh, online. Someone sent it to me. I didn't know nothing about it. I, I wish Eddie Hearn would call me and offer me a deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I'm with Al Hammond, so I'm happy where I'm at. But, um, yeah, I mean... You know, they wanted to fight me, and, and Tyson Fury didn't want to fight me. It was too tough of a test for him for his first fight back being off. You know, I'm one of those guys. I don't have the big name, but I'm a dangerous fighter. Uh, so a guy like Tyson Fury loses to me, well, he's no longer relevant. So he, I don't think Tyson Fury wanted to take that chance, and I don't blame him. Now, three weeks after your fight, the rematch is on. Dillian White takes on Derek Chisora. If you saw the first fight, then you'll know how close it was. I'm not sure this fight can possibly be as exciting, but who do you have winning that one? Uh, I, I'm picking Dillian White. Dillian White's you know, better boxer. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't really, I, I don't really watch those guys much. 
Um, I wish I was. I wish I watched a little bit more of those guys. Um, but Dylan Wade is, is a is a better boxer than Chisora. Chisora is a more, if I remember correctly, more come forward. I don't think I've seen Chisora fight one time. Um, I believe he's more of a come forward type of fighter. Um, and I never got to see the, the first fight with those two. Um, you know, I stepped in Dylan White's place. Dylan White was supposed to fight Lewis Ortiz, and they don't want to fight him. Nobody wants to fight Lewis Ortiz. I'm one of those guys that, hey, let's fight. Um, but, you know, out of those two, I was Dylan White and Derek Chisora, and the best man win. I, I don't know much about both of those guys. I know they're in my division. I know they're, quote-unquote, top fighters. Um, but, you know, maybe the best man win. I, I, I really don't care about those two, so whatever. And I want to ask you this, um, you know, you said there that if Tyson Fury would have fought you and possibly lost to you, then where does he kind of go from there? Do you, do you think that yourself and Luis Ortiz are in pretty similar boats in the respect that you're a high-risk, low-reward fighter, it would seem, and so is he? No, um, I, I still, he is a, he a high-risk, I mean, he don't have the, he has a definitely bigger fan base than I have, uh, but every fighter top fighters, besides Deontay Water, have been scared to fight him. I mean, he's called out Dylan White, Dylan White, yeah, they'll fight you, and then pulled out, didn't want to fight him. I think it was just all a little a little, uh, a little, uh, show, to put on a show, make him think that he wasn't scared of Lewis Ortiz. Um, I, I think uh, Lewis Ortiz is one of those guys where he has he has a lot more to lose than I do. Um, you know, me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fighter, and I, I don't care who I fight. You put me in there with uh, uh, Lewis Ortiz, December 1st, he put me in there with Deontay Wilder, December 2nd, I don't care, let's fight, you know, and that's what the boxing game is about, that's what fighting is about, to fight and fight anybody, and boxing has, over the years, has become so much of a business. I don't blame the fighters because of that, I blame the promoters and, and the managers, because after boxing, we have nobody, nobody, nobody cares about us, and um, you know, you, you see a lot of these fighters who make so much money, and they become homeless, especially in the States. I don't know how to go over anywhere, but especially in the States, um, you know, a lot of the fighters become homeless or become, they don't know how to how, how to finance their money. Is that the promoter or manager's job? No, it's not. It's not their fault. But we have guys who, like Roger Filler, for say, per se, he, he's homeless now, um, who's made managers and promoters millions and millions and millions of dollars after you're done with Boston, it's screw you. You know, there's no... There's no, there's no uh, retirement pension. There's nothing, you know, after boxing, you know, where your where your your financially going to be okay, and you know we're on our own. And most fighters come from a poor, a majority of us come from a poor background, and we were never taught how to manage our money. So that's why boxing boxers have made it a business. Floyd Mayweather, the best businessman in this bo- in the boxing game. Uh, so you know. I, I just think that boxing has become more of a business and people are too afraid to step up and fight each other, fight each other. Um, and I'm one of those guys like, you know, whatever, let's fight. You know, that's why I signed up for, I signed up because I wanted to fight the toughest guys, uh, win, lose or draw. I don't care. I just want to fight. I love fighting. I've always loved fighting. Um, and it's just something that's in my blood. And, you know, that's why I think I'm so excited. And, uh, you know, every fight I've been in, every fight on TV has been, you know, one of the candidates of fight of the year. Uh, Ariola, candidate of fight of the year. Mansoor, candidate of fight of the year. When I lost to Tony Brown, it was only a four-round fight. Uh, that was candidate of fight of the year. Uh, the fight with Scott Alexander wasn't candidate of fight of the year, but it was a hell of a fight. It was, it, was a, it was a good fight, you know. Even though Alexander was moving a lot and trying to box, 
I was the aggressor. Let's, let's fight, you know? So. And finally, um, um, Travis, what, what is your prediction for the 1st of December? Now, obviously, you are the underdog. I'm sure you know that, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't upset the odds like many others have done. How do you see your arm being raised on December 1st? Is it knockout? Is it points? What can you tell us? I believe I have the ability to knock him out. Um, I, I think the only way, as we know, I've been robbed a couple of times in this in this sport. The only way I get the victory is knocking him out. If I don't knock him out, the judges won't give me the fight. You know, he's the bigger name. They want him to fight Deontay Wilder again. You know, who's this guy, Travis Kaufman? Nobody knows who I am, unless you're a diehard boxing fan. So the only way I can win is by knocking him out. Um, I, I could beat him all 10 rounds. They would not give me the decision. They won't, uh, and, I, and I strongly believe that. And, uh, you know, listen to uh, boxing is, is a money. It's about money. It's a business. And the commission makes more money if Lewis Ortiz fights Deontay Wilder again compared to Travis Kaufman either having a rematch with Lewis Ortiz or Travis Kaufman fighting Deontay Wilder, you know? So, I mean, that that's just the only way, the only way I can win is by knocking him out. In the back of your mind, have you kind of got, have you got some thoughts there thinking, do you know what, I could outbox this slick southpaw in the heavyweight division. I could outbox him. I could win the majority of the rounds, but I simply wouldn't get it. Or do you not even really, or, you know, you simply wouldn't get the decision. Or do you not even really think about that? You're just simply thinking, I don't really care about that. I'm not chancing going to points. I'm just going to go in there and try and lay this guy out. Well, I mean, I would love to go out there and knock him out. Well, we know this is boxing. We can't knock everyone out. Um, if I go out there and beat him on points, great. I mean, one thing about boxing, though, they don't pay us for overtime. Whether I knock them out one round or ten rounds, I get paid the same thing. Um, just raises my stocks if I can knock them out faster than Deontay Wilder did. Then I'd really be a household name. Um, you know, right now I'm at, I'm at the door of opportunity, and 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 I'm they're cracking it open for me. Now it's my job to bust open through the door and get my name really well known. And I believe the only way I can do that is if I knock them out. So. Um, Am I going out there looking for a knockout? Absolutely not. Because any baseball player that goes out there looking for a home run, they never get it. So, But I believe I have the ability, and definitely I have the power. I mean, anybody I've ever hit with my right hand, I hurt them. So uh, I, I dropped, you know, Ariola when Klitschko couldn't drop him. Klitschko's, I believe, a bigger puncher than me. Um, uh, so I hurt him real bad in the second round. Um, look where I did the Alexander. I dropped him in the first round real bad. I don't know how the hell he got up, but he did. Um, you know, anybody I've ever hit my right hand, I hurt bad. So, um, I believe, you know, like King Kong, if I hit him with his right hand, he will turn into Harambe. <laughs> and finally, Travis, have you got any kind of message just to our listeners just before we let you go? No, I appreciate all the, all the support. Um, you know, just stay tuned. Um, December 1st is definitely a huge step up for me. It's a, it's a huge opportunity, but I'm confident and, and I believe I will be victorious. Um, you know, I take nothing away from from Lewis Ortiz. I take, but I, I just I, I I can't give someone credit that that's cheated their way to the top, and that's just my opinion. And but may come December first, may the best man win. And like I say, you call yourself my time. I really pray that this is your time, Travis. It always is a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you nothing but the best for December first, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime after. Thank you very much. 
Okay, and this wraps up episode 161 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Summer has returned, he's been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show also, the two-time Olympic champion and undefeated two-weight, four-belt world champion, Clarissa Shields, and the top heavyweight contender looking to finally make a name for himself on a mega undercard, Travis Kaufman. The Prediction League currently stands at myself in the lead on 70 points, as and you, the listeners, are tied on 68 points. There are another five points up for grabs this weekend, although I, as and you, the listeners, have been in agreement on all five predictions. I think I agreed on all but one of them, so... No matter what happens, I still will be in the lead next week. Go me. But there has been some news announced whilst we've been recording this show. PBC have announced another nine shows. I'm going to announce them in chronological order here. Um, All the main events on the bills. So it starts with January the 13th for the IBF Super Middleweight World title. Caleb Plant will challenge Jose Uzcategui. Um, on the 26th of January, we'll finally see the return of Keith Furman. He takes on Josecito Lopez. Keith Furman will defend his WBA world title. On February 16th, Leo Santa Cruz defends his WBA world title against Miguel Flores. A lot of people not too happy about that one. Uh, the week after that, we get to see Anthony Durrell take on Avni Yildirim for the vacant WBC world title, the one that was taken away from David Benavidez after he positively tested um for something, I think it was cocaine actually now, but yeah, March the 9th, Sean Porter will take on your Dennis Ugas for Sean Porter's WBC world title, the week after that we truly do get to see a real mega fight, Errol Spence defends his IBF welterweight world title against Mikey Garcia, Mikey is going up two weight classes here and he's daring to be great, this is a fight that I knew was done and dusted quite a while ago to be honest, but I've had to be quiet and I'm so happy now that I can let loose what a mega fight that one is. The week after that, we get to see Lamont Peterson take on Sergei Lipinets in a non-title fight, but a very good fight anyway. April the 13th, two former world champions clash. Caleb Truax takes on Peter Quillen. And then finally, on April the 20th, Danny Garcia takes on Adrian Granados in a fight that I'm not even in the slightest bit looking forward to, to be honest. I think that's another... Um, another fight where you can kind of call Danny Garcia a little bit of a cherry picker. Um, but that's pretty much everything. Please, please, please do not give me any stick for that awful singing. I tried my absolute best. I, I really sung my heart out and perhaps I do need to take up some singing lessons. Remember, if you do have any spare time, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in once again to the Box Hard Podcast and making this the number one boxing podcast on the net. Enjoy your week. Weekends, people. Stay safe and we shall see you next week.